Do you find it difficult to come up with content ideas for your podcast? Or perhaps you've gotten stuck doing an interview with a guest where you just have nothing to ask anymore. Try Poddex today. Poddex is the best all-in-one podcast idea generation tool. You get everything from episode ideas to interesting conversation starters for interviews, engaging discussions for your live streams, and even social media content ideas. With this tool, you don't have to spend weeks trying to come up with content for an episode or unique questions for your guests. Just shuffle the cards and pick one at random, hit the record button, and get started. Now you can make better content, have more fun while you're at it, and get your viral moment, all with Poddex. Head over to poddex.com and use code C4C. Hi, everyone. This is your host, Kat Corchado. Today, I am interviewing Fostoria Pearson, once married to a Marine who physically and sexually traumatized her for their entire marriage. I just wanted to warn everyone who feels that Fostoria's story may trigger them that you may hear some unnerving and unsettling facts about her abuse. But what you'll also hear is how she triumphed in spite of her abuser and how there are now organizations that are available to men and women to help with the recovery process. Let's hear her story. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Sisters in Service. My name is Kat Corchado, and I welcome to everyone who's new. And for those of you who have been listening, thank you so much. So today I have as my guest, Fostoria Pearson. She is a PhD in human services. She is the president of the Blue Star Mothers chapter um, in Charlotte. She's a certified care and counsel for trauma for military ministry. She's also founder of the nonprofit Grandma's Hands. And most recently, she's the author of the book, Marine's Wife, A Battered Life. And she's also my friend. I would like for everyone to welcome Fostoria Pearson. Fostoria, welcome. Oh, thank you, and and welcome to you. And uh, <laughs> I'm so glad to um, to be doing this podcast with you this afternoon. Yes, I'm so glad we had connected, and you know, with COVID, Fostory and I haven't talked or anything. And out of the blue, she calls me, and we're like, "Let's do this." And I found out what she was doing. She found out what I was doing, and it it was karma. We just had to. I'm like, you have to be on the podcast, period. So I'm so glad you said yes. So Fostoria, for those people that don't know, um, could you explain um, what the Blue Star Mothers, what that chapter is about, what it is? Blue Star Mothers, we are mothers that have children that are currently serving in the military or have served in the past. Blue Star Mothers is a national organization. The main office is Northern Virginia, and we are chartered by the 86th Congress, and we follow DOD guidelines. And Blue Star Mothers has been around, I believe, since 1942. Mm. And our mission is to support our veterans and our military and reservists in any way that we possibly can. And we provide them humanitarian needs. Uh, we will volunteer. Uh, uh, we will be very active in their events, as well as getting involved with the uh, the VFWs and the uh, American Legions to support them as well. 
That's awesome. And it's, it's good that you explain that because a lot of people, I don't think, understand what Blue Star Mothers, what they do. So thank you so much for explaining that because, you know, there are probably mothers out there who think they don't qualify for something like that, you know, and they're able to get that support. Um, and with, so the Blue Star Mothers, you're, you have a child in the military, correct? Or a veteran. Or a veteran. Okay, yes. awesome. Thank you for explaining that. So also you started a nonprofit called Grandma's Hands. Could you explain what that one's for, please? Grandma's Hands, No Homeless Veteran Initiative. We support our homeless veterans that are um, that are on the streets, does not that does not have a lease in his or her name, and they are living on possibly the floor of a relative or um on the tents, um, on the streets, and we provide homes, we provide career development, we will assist with resources to help the veteran get his or her claim started. Uh, we will sit down with um, the veteran to help him or her apply for um, their DD-214s. So we, we basically do it all. We, we were also supporting them as far as transportation to and from the VA, but mm -hmm. right now with COVID, um, we don't have that transportation piece anymore. Right. So if y'all didn't know, Fostoria is a jack of all trades. She does a lot. <laughs> Just saying. And she does it all with a smile. <laughs> That's because I enjoy and I love what I do. I love my military. I love my veterans. Yes. Right. Yeah. And so glad that you do. So most recently. So the title of my book, I, I had to think about what I wanted the title to be because I wanted it to catch the attention of other military wives that are going through abuse or um, civilians. Right. And, um, um, uh, you know, so the title, it just fit the abuse that I was going through because as I stated, I was married at a very young age and um, little did I know that the, the slap, the punch or the kick that uh, I had endured at that early age, I was thinking, wow, this, that's nothing. You know, maybe right. that's, I was sodomized, raped by my, um, by my Marine husband. That's unbelievable. I can't even imagine that for you. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's, that's just horrible. And the fact that you came out of it on the other side is remarkable in and of itself. And I'm looking at the cover and explain the cover. So if for those people who can't see the cover, Fostoria, explain the cover of your book for us. Well, the Marine, his face is shaded. And the reason why his face is shaded is because I wanted the reader to see that abuse comes in all colors. It's not just an African-American thing or a white thing or a Caucasian Abuse comes in all colors. Mm -hmm. Marine is pressing his index finger up against his lips. And I wanted to depict the fact that abuse in the military, it's a silent shame. Mm -hmm. Because each time I was beat by my Marine husband, it was always, shh, don't go to my command don't ruin my career. 
And I remember him as other spouses that I've interviewed in the book. That's what their Marine husband would tell them. So the finger pressed up against that ish. And I also explains it on the back of my cover mm-hmm. at um, what, the, what the Marine depicts. And the female that's on the floor with her hand between his, his legs, she's holding on for dear life because that was her supporter. That was her husband. That was one that she loved. And she thought that this person would um, be in her life forever, that they would be married forever. Mm-hmm. So it picks that, you know, even though I have the bruises and, and, and the subtitle is dress bruise. Even though she has the bruises on her legs, on her arms, She's still holding on. Right. This is who she made her vows with, for better or worse. And as you read the book, you will find out that it was for worse. Now, let me explain something. There were some great times being married to him, but the abuse and the sodomy and the rape, it was more times than... I could count that I could imagine, but don't get me wrong. We did have a good life. We really did. So I have a question for you. Was there a sense of, I'm sure that there were, did you know of other battered women and did you guys kind of cling together as kind of a support thing or did you know that other women were being battered? All the above. We were we were Marine wives that were married in the 75 and 76. So it's a different era than what it is today. We clinged on to each other because we were all we had. You have to understand, during our era, we did not have the support of the family advocacy programs. We did not have the support of the domestic violence task force that the military has now. We didn't have any of that. We didn't have the information that we could go to our our husband's um, commands and 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 for the chaplains. That information was not uh, uh, available to us. And you have to remember, it was seventy five, so we didn't have the access to Google or text phones. So we couldn't just text each other, say, "Hey, come over." My husband's beating the hell out of me. Right. We couldn't do that. So we had each other. It was each of each of us mm-hmm. that um, got each one through. So, do you think that it's as bad now? or as prevalent now as it was then, or is it just people know about it more? So they're on the lookout. Now we've got the Google and the, <laughs> and the cell phone and, and all of that. Do you think it's as bad now as it was before? Or is it just more out in the open now? I think right now it's, I think it's more out in the open. Um, and, and I'm sure a lot of people listen to the news and they hear what's going on. Um, with several of the army females that were killed to rape. I, I think it's more now that the military is focusing on it more than what they did. 
because there are more programs now for the for the battered um, spouses and the uh, into partners. So yeah, so they like I stated earlier, they have the domestic violence task force that the DOD put into place, and and they know about all the services because the family advocacy programs on each of the bases they have great programs for that right now. Right. But um, it, it you know they're doing the military is doing a better job now than they did in our era to the fact that its spouses are starting to speak up. And you have to understand it, it, it's a different generation of spouses. Mary, like I said, in the 70s, um, the mid 70s and late 70s. And um, it was a, still the old adage. Um, if the military wanted you to have a wife, they would put you in their sea bag. <laughs> they would have issued it to you. <laughs> actually, actually, I, I was told that when um, I happened to call my husband's command one morning, I, I had to go to work. And one of my supervisors asked me, because uh, I went in crying, I had a black eye, and she asked me, had... Um, uh, did I call my husband's command? I said, no. I said, you know what? Because they're not going to say anything. So she forced me to call. And I did. And I called and this guy answered the phone. I believe he was a sergeant. And he had this, this real country accent. And I told him who I was. And my husband just beat the hell out of me. And he said, Miss Booker, in his real country voice, well, Miss Booker, if the Marine Corps wanted Corporal Booker to have a wife, then we would have issued you into Seabag. Click. Oh, my gosh. Say, I wish, I wish I knew who that person was. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That's, that's just awful. Because then it, it feels like you don't have any help anywhere. You don't know where to go. You know, and that's an awful feeling not knowing what to do next, you know. Um, I know that in there's a phrase in your book that's that goes like this. Abuse is not a one size fits all. Can you explain that phrase, please? Yes, that's that's one of the quotes I put in my book is because even with the Marine wives that I interviewed in my book, their their abuse, whether it was psychological, mental or physical, was different than mine. We all go through different levels of abuse different psychological levels and different physical levels. My level of abuse, I stayed for years. I did not have the courage. I did not have the self-esteem. I did not have the self-worth to get out. Mm. When other spouses did and some stayed. So the different levels has to do with psychologically. Right. And I was a young bride, I was a young mother. In between the beatings came the babies. I had nowhere to go. So my level of courage to stay or to get out is different mm -hmm. than another spouse, female, that's being abused. And, uh, and, and as I said, it's different for everyone. Your self-esteem was beat out of me that mm -hmm. I didn't have. That's just, that's awful. You know, there's... There's a time, you know, when you meet someone and, and there's a moment, you know, and, and looking back. So, you know, hindsight's 2020, 20, what they say, you look back and you go, God, the signs were there. Why didn't I see them? Because you never want to believe that about someone, you know, 
You just don't. You don't want to believe that. So what, when did that happen for you? When was that moment when you said, okay, this is not right? Can you remember that time? Can you take us back to that time when you said, okay, this, this isn't supposed to be this way? When I, I believe it was when he, um, he was home. He was getting ready to go to Okinawa, Japan. And his, his parents, you know, he came from a well-balanced family. Mother, father, sisters, brothers owned their home, well-known in the neighborhood. And, um, and I used to stay there with him. Um, because my, my parents, it was 12 children and, you know, so I, I, I stayed mainly there with, with my husband and, and, and I, it went through my mind when he raped me with a, a metal object in the attic. I'm like, oh hell, it's not supposed to be this way. Right. And, and even though that was like the first two years of my marriage and even though I was raped with the metal object. I was hung by my hands, mm. uh, the wall, and everything he did to me. Yes, that, that went through my mind. Yeah. This is not the way marriage is supposed to be. Right. And it was early in my marriage, and I'm thinking, you know what? He's going to change. This mm. is not going to continue. But little did I know, it did. And the signs were there. I ignored them. And, and people have to understand uh, and I have been asked, why, why did I stay? But people have to understand, especially if you're young, mm-hmm. you're young right? and you're a young mother and you have no education and you have no means of financial support. Right. That person is supposed to support you and be your financial blanket. What do you do? Where do you go? I think it's, it's just really hard for someone who's never been through that to understand because it sounds easy. Just go. But, you know, where do you go? What do you do? I had a, an abusive relationship and it didn't get abusive until the towards the end. So I'm one of those people that, OK, I'll go along, I'll go along. And then something in your gut just says, this isn't right. You need to go. And so I start to rebel. And that's when it started. So a lot I've been reading a little bit and they say that trying to get out is probably the most dangerous part of getting out of an abusive relationship that you have to have a plan. Um, do you, can you explain a little bit about that? Yes. And, and um, yes. And statistics does show, and I'm sorry, I should have pulled them up, but I did read them. That is the hardest part because one of the biggest concerns for women that are abused. And the reason I'm going to say women is because, and I showed the statistics in my book, but in my era, it were it was the women exactly. because there was no or at least I didn't see them female Marines, and uh, so yeah. So during that era, it it was very hard um, to get out because one of the main concerns that we have is finances. That's that's one of the biggest concerns that spouses have. If I mm-hmm. leave my husband. Who's going to take care of me and my children? Where would I get the support from? How am I to make it? And the Marine Corps, and I left my husband a couple of times. I got on a Greyhound bus and went to my mother in Cincinnati, Ohio, and um, he came after me. 
because he knew that there was nowhere else <laughs> that I could go. Rather, I had two kids at the time or five children at the time. He knew mm. where I would be. And yes, you have to, you have to set up an escape plan, um, and which I did. I wrote about that um, in my book. Mm-hmm that um, he was going, um, the Marine Corps call it TAD, um, temporary additional duty. Uh, He was going there, I don't know for how many weeks, and I really didn't care. Mm -hmm. The only thing that I knew of was when he left this time, this is my escape. I had to get out. And, um, And I planned when he first told me he was going TAD. I had already been looking in the area for an apartment and and we had been there for a while. So I knew, uh, and this was in California, uh, and I knew. So I, I was driving around finding a place. I finally found a place and put a deposit on. And um, soon as he went TAD, I packed up me and the children and moved. Mm. And I don't know how many weeks later that um, he found out uh, well, when he came home, of course, because the only thing I left him, um, you know, was his, his um, uniforms and, and clothes. Um, so I and I started hearing in the neighborhood that he was looking for us. Oh, and, that's been scary. Um, that was scary. That was scary because for the weeks that he was in the field, uh, I had peace of mind because I knew he was in the field. I did not have to worry about um, being tortured in my bed or raped or feet tied. I didn't have to worry about that then for those few weeks. Mm-hmm. I know that once he found out where we were, and um, I and I talk about that in my book. I, I think that's chapter 12, uh, Under War Room, when he found out one morning, a knock on the door, and I went and opened the door and, and my children were going to school, my boys. So I thought, you know what, it's one of the kids that normally come over in the morning and uh, they ride to school together or walk or whatever. Little did I know it was him. And oh uh, when I opened the door, my heart fell. I Just, bet. Yes. And, um, and I told him he couldn't come in and he, he pushed the door open and came in and, um, you know, I went ahead and, the children heard his voice and they ran out the room and, and then I went ahead and walked them out and they went to the um, the bus stop and I came back and grabbed my purse and said, hey, you know, I got a doctor's appointment I have to leave for. And he said, you're not going anywhere. Call them and cancel it. I knew right then and there my life flashed. Right. My face because I knew that there were only going to be two ways I was going to walk out of there and, um, and, and it was torture for the whole day. And I don't, I, I, I don't want to get too graphic about what he did to me, but why I named that chapter war room, because I had to fight for my life. I had to fight for my children to have a mother. I had to fight and I never thought that I had to fight my Marine husband. He joined the Marines to protect our country, but who protected 
me. Right. And I do hold the Marine Corps accountable because they knew. They knew during that time what was going on and they did nothing about it. They looked the other way. They looked the other way. And someone asked me, they had read my book and they had said, Fostoria, oh my God, what you've gone through. Um, I, I can't see why you do all of this. You love what you do with the veterans and with the military and everyone. And she said, my God, I would hate the Marine Corps. I said, no, ma'am, I do not. Mm -hmm. I said, you understand, my husband, he's an individual. He made those choices. Right. He knew right from wrong. And the majority of the beatings came from when he was drunk or tipsy or whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. I said, and the Marine Corps knew. I said, yes, I do. I hold the Marine Corps accountable. I said, but just him, Marine or the branch of service, no one else, because he made these choices. So, Fostoria, I know, I, I, well, I don't know. Only you know how horrible it was. And I'm going to be reading your book here over the weekend. How did you... What did you think? What did you hold on to during those that those beatings when he was hitting you and being abusive? What what helped you through? What did you cling on to? Well, one of the quotes in my book is I prayed for my beatings. And I know that probably sound, you know, kind of crazy to people. Why is she praying for her beatings? So let me explain it. Mm hmm. On a certain day, if he came home, it might be a slap, it might be a punch, or it might be a kick. So if it's one of those days, I'm like, oh, okay, well, understand my my, my frame of mind now. I'm psychologically messed up. Uh, so if it's just one of those, then, oh, you know what, that's okay. I could still survive. Mm -hmm. But when it gets to the point that another day, it might be... Um, I get raped. I get sodomized with a foreign object. Mm. Or if I get my hot, my hands tied up and my feet tied and I'm being beat with the belt. So if I, if I'm praying for my beatings and then he come home a next day and I'm thinking, Oh my God, I think I want to have the beating that I had the day previously when it was just a slap, a punch, or a kick, right. <laughs> getting raped with a, mm -hmm. you know, with an object or hands tied or being beat with a belt. So I pray for the lesser beatings all the time. Oh my goodness. That's just, that's just horrific. I mean, I can't, I can't even go there. I can't, I'm like, I, I don't, I don't know. You incredibly strong woman. I mean, mental, I mean, you had to be mentally and physically, you know, because, you know, it kind of makes sense because, you know, he's beating you, but he's not beating the kids. No, never, ever. He was never abusive to the kids. And then to, um, you know, to go back, um, I just, um, what got me through mm -hmm. my faith has always been I've, I've always had very strong faith in God. I really have. It was my children. <laughs> Every time I would look at my children and I would look in their big brown eyes, 
or see how they enjoy just being children. My children were Marine Corps brats. They had some of the, they, they had a great life, all of them, you know, right. uh, they were well fed, well educated. And, uh, but little did they know <laughs> their mom was getting beat the hell out of I did it for my children. children. I went through the abuse for my children to have a mother. I very seldom thought about committing suicide because I didn't want that to mess my children up psychologically thinking, oh my God, could I or should I have been a better child? Did I not do my, my, my math or science? What, what did I do wrong? Did I not clean my room? I didn't want that to affect my children psychologically, that mom didn't love us enough, that she took her own life. So I wouldn't do that right. because I honestly thought that my husband would end up killing me. I honestly thought that I would be carried out in a plastic bag. Oh, my goodness. Yes. But it was my children and, 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 and mothers and fathers, if you don't know, I mean, we would do anything for our children. And again, I went through so much abuse, all the abuse right. just, just to save my life. So my children um, could have a mother. Wow. So what would you tell someone who is listening that they're in an abusive relationship and now we're in COVID. So According to the statistics, the abuse has escalated because it, we're all indoors right now. What would you tell someone who may be listening to this, what they can do to get out or get away? What kind of advice would you give them? I'm going to speak to the military families first. Okay. If you are slapped, punched, or kicked, by your spouse. And, and now since there are more, you know, there's intimate partners and, um, you know, there's a lot of, there's men that are being abused as well. In my book, each one of my chapters is hashtag get out. Because if it's just a slap, believe me, it's going to continue. Listen, listen, military spouses, if at this time, you are going through any form of abuse. You have the resources we did not have. You have your, your chaplain that you can go to. You have the awesome family advocacy programs that they offer you guys on the basis now. You have the domestic violence task force. I believe in 2018, President Trump signed that bill that now abuse in the military is just what it is. It's abuse. It's not something that they could sweep under the carpet anymore. Mm -hmm. You 911, call the military police. Even as a military spouse, you can call the National Domestic Violence Hotline. You have a lot of resources out there for you now. But with just one slap, punch, or kick, hashtag get out now. And for the non-military spouses, please call 911. Call the National Association for Domestic Violence. They are an awesome organization. And they are there to listen to you, to help you, and not to judge you. 
So please call a friend or call a neighbor and someone that will believe you and take you in and, and so you can be in a safe haven. Mm. Yes. I would tell you. Yes. Hashtag get out now. Mm. So I know that you wanted to read a portion of your book, I think in chapter 17. Can you uh, tell our audience what that's about? Yes, as I was, as I was writing my book, and um, I think I was basically finished with it. And then I was sitting on the sofa. And, um, and the Lord put it on my heart to write this. And it, it's sort of like a, a, a poem. However, there were two to three ladies that had asked me when I had told them my story. Um, wow you wore it well. And I'm thinking to myself, how do you wear abuse? Mm. Do you wear it well with a black eye? Do you wear it well with a broken arm and a sling? Do you wear it well walking around on crutches? How do you wear abuse? And I was asked that two or three times. So this is why chapter 17, the title is you wore it well, a custom fit dress. Please design me a, a simple custom fit dress with these unique specifications. The collar has to fold up past my forehead to cover my black eyes and the bruises on my face. Let my hair flow down since hair is a woman's glory. I never thought I would live to tell my story. The sleeves must be long enough to cover the bruises on my arms. I want my hands and fingers to be exposed because one day God might bless me with a Boaz to put a ring on my finger. The dress has to be long enough so no one will see the bruises on my legs or the sores on my knees from crawling away. I want my feet to show to remind me that God allowed me to walk away. Don't forget the two holes for my eyes because I still need to see the footprints to my destiny to which God is bringing me. Don't forget the two holes for my ears so I can hear God's voice telling me, I never left you nor will I ever forsake you, my child. Leave a hole for my nose so I can breathe the air you tried to beat out of me. Leave an opening for my mouth so I can tell women that are still being abused to hashtag get out now. The top open part of the dress will remind me that the abuse that I endured for so many years is over. The dress must have a zipper down the back to remind me that the abuse is behind me now and it has come to an end. The dress must be purple to remind me of God's royalty. It's my favorite color and the purple bruises that covered my face and body are no longer there. Most importantly, it has to be a size 16. That's when I said I do and I made it through different levels of abuse for 16 years. If you are a woman and a victim of physical, sexual, psychological and emotional abuse, this dress is not a one size fit all. All magnitudes, black eyes, bruises, scars, rape, and a shattered heart are incomparable abuse. You best believe this dress will not be designed with spandex or any adjustments, whereas there will not be any alterations in my life to fit you 
or another abuser. You wore it well, we wore it well. Wow, Fostory, that is powerful. That I was reading along with it while you were saying, I was like, <laughs> oh my gosh. I mean, it just gave me chills when I was reading it. Now, I do know that part of the proceeds are going to support the military family advocacy programs and the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence. Is that true? Yes, a portion of them will go to, to each branch of the service, their family advocacy programs, and yes, ma'am, the National Association of Domestic Violence, and some of the, uh, the local battered women's shelters here in Charlotte. Well, I do know that October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month, and purple is the, the color to signify that. And Fostory, we're going to have to have you back on the show in October, you know, to talk a little bit more about this. But where can people find the book? You can go to uh, Amazon.com and they do have a link and you can just type in a Marine's wife, a battered life, or you can type in Arthur and my name, Fostoria Pearson. And Fostoria, if people need to reach out to you, where where can they find you? What's a good email address for you? I can be reached at bluestarmommy at yahoo.com. Again, blue as in the color, star as in the sky, mommy as I am and so many of you at yahoo.com. That's great. I think that when they, if they were to just type in your name, Fostoria, they'd probably find you. I don't know too many people whose name is Fostoria. (laughs) So they should be able to find you very quickly. Um, Fostoria, it's been, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. What's not a pleasure is knowing that this is still a thing. You know, I'm, I'm so glad that you were here to tell your story and usually you know, for people who listen to my podcast, it's like a back and forth. It's a banter, but I really wanted people to hear what you had to say. So if you're like, oh, Kat's not talking. I want Fostoria to speak. I want her to tell her story. And so people can truly listen and understand that you don't know who your abuser is. You don't know which person walking by you could be an abuser. You don't know that. And they come, just like you said, in in all shapes, forms, colors, et cetera. Fostoria, it has been such a pleasure having you on Sisters in Service. And I hope that you will come back in October. Would you, if I asked you? Yes, ma'am. I sure will. Just let me know. Awesome. So for everyone that was listening, thank you so much. Um, Again, please take care of each other and stay safe. And until next time.